0: Isaiah 24, 1-6. See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. It will be the same for priest as for people, for the master as for his servant, for the mistress as for her servant, for seller as for buyer, for borrower as for lender, for debtor as for creditor. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. The earth dries up and withers. The world languishes and withers. The heavens languish with the earth. The earth is deviled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt." Therefore, earth's inhabitants are burned up and very few are left. Sally. I'm
1: going to look at a lot, of, a lot of passages in Isaiah tonight, and they're all in a similar vein. Before we get to that, guys, um, did you know it's illegal to keep a lion as a pet? I checked. I checked this week. I googled it. I googled um, pet lion, and um, look, this is the first thing that came up, this image, and then also this article, Czech man attacked and killed by a lion kept as a pet, guys, it's tied and tried and tested, it's illegal, and a bunch of other articles came up along with this one, basically having a pet lion is 100% bad idea, it never goes well. And the gist was, in all these articles, was no matter how cute and how cuddly you think a a lion is, what you think doesn't change what what lions are. They're deadly, and it's a mistake, actually, not to fear them. Now, tonight, I want us to see a far bigger mistake I reckon we can all be guilty of making. And that's the mistake of not fearing God. Did you pay attention to that Bible reading? It was pretty dark, yeah? Listen to the first verse again. See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. There's no getting around it, guys. God is terrifying in this passage. So why don't we feel the fear when we read it? Why don't we deep down fear God? Are we safe so we don't need to be worried? Or are we just mistaken? Now, it would be a mistake to think we could tame a lion... But somehow, I reckon our world has tamed the picture of God. God is terrifying in his power and in his actions, and we see it throughout Isaiah, throughout the Bible, throughout history. So, what has gone wrong with us and the world that we don't fear the one thing that is truly unstoppable in this world? Tonight, we're going to answer that question in Isaiah as we look at just one side of God's infinitely complex and perfect character. And this is critical for everyone here to get because if you don't listen or don't accept this picture of God we're looking at tonight, you're at risk of angering the holy God for not honouring his character and his actions as you should. Or worse, you're rejecting God and you're counted as his enemy. And you will see the terrifying future that awaits the enemies of God as we read the Bible tonight. So guys, God does not want you as his enemy, but you will be one if we fail to act. So I'm going to pray now that God would help us to listen tonight, uh, to form the right picture of him, and for us to to fear and respond rightly to him. So let's pray real quick now. Uh, Heavenly Father, please help us as we tackle what is a tricky part of the Bible, where it might be hard to understand or hard to appreciate your plan for the world. Would you then help us to understand you and understand your plan for us? Help us to um, come to you humbly and to listen to your word and to accept it. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. So tonight we're actually not going to stay in that passage that was read to us. We're going to jump around a couple of passages, actually, all the way from chapters 9 to 30. But don't stress, we're not going to read all the chapters because one big theme emerges as across, across them all, and that's this. God is the fierce judge of all people. He's someone who, above all others, we have to listen to and obey and fear his judgment. But somehow our world ignores his powerful rule in this world. And we only need to pay attention what happened in history, what happens in the book of Isaiah, to see that his power is on display. So I'm going to take you actually through it rapid fire, the history that we unpack in Isaiah. Are you ready? I've got a map that's going to help us walk through it. So throughout chapters 9 to 30. We're about to read about many different nations. Can we hit the next slide? Yeah, um, We're going to read about many different nations in this region of the world. Yeah, uh, And what we're going to hear in Isaiah are messages from God to the many nations in this area. And in chapter 9, we read about the first one. We read about Israel, who at this stage in history are actually no longer people who belong to God. They once followed God, but they now worship other idols, other gods, and they're not turning back to God. So it's not going to go well for them, yeah? And because of that, because of their rebellion, it explains in chapter 9, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, chapter 9, verse 19, chapter 9, verse 19, God explains how he is now going to destroy them with the army of Assyria. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 19, it says, By the wrath of the Lord Almighty, the land will be scorched, and the people will be fuel for the fire. They will not spare one another. They're the heavy words that come to the Israelites, and that's exactly what happens to Israel. God kills and destroys their people, and very few remain. We continue on reading in Isaiah what God is speaking to the nations. And In chapter 10, we read, It doesn't fare much better for the nation of Assyria either. They're up the top there. Even though they were used by God to actually destroy these guys' Israel, and they later hurt Jerusalem, these guys don't get any special treatment from God. They are punished as well because they, like the Israelites, have no regard for the God of the universe. So in chapter 10, verse 12, it says... When the Lord has finished all his work against Mount Zion and Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look in his eyes. In that verse, it's explaining God destroys the armies of Assyria, and later they are conquered by an even greater nation, the Babylonians. So God is starting to wield this, this punishment across the nations for rebellion, and it doesn't stop there. We keep on reading in Isaiah about that nation of Babylon who are getting judgment as well. Chapter 13, verse 19 says about Babylon. Chapter 13, verse 19 says, Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the pride and the glory of the Babylonians will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. She will never be inhabited or lived in through all generations. You see, the Babylonians are receiving the same terrible fate that those Assyrians faced. Because like the Israelites and like the Assyrians, they didn't fear God or obey Him. They didn't worship Him. They didn't fear God. And it's actually, this is the same story we keep on rolling through as we go through Isaiah. Check out this next slide. Philistine, Moab, Damascus, Cush, Arabia, Tyre, Egypt, they all have their own chapters of judgment because like these other nations, they failed to recognize God. So they are all conquered, all destroyed, all put to the sword. Because at this point in the history, all the nations have no fear or regard for the one true God. So death reigns. Even the last remaining people who are meant to be God's people, that's the people of Judah and Jerusalem, even they have abandoned their faith and abandoned their obedience to God. So God plans to destroy them as well with the rest of the wicked nations. Isaiah chapter 22 talks about, uh, talks about these guys. And it talks about a wicked leader of Jerusalem in particular and the eventual destruction and exile of its, of its people. So um, Isaiah 22 verse 17. It says about Jerusalem and the last remaining people, "'Beware the Lord is about to take firm hold of you "'and hurl you away, you mighty man. "'He will roll you up tightly like a ball,' And throw you into a large country. There you will die, and there the chariots you are so proud of will become a disgrace to your master's house. So, guys, are you starting to get a fuller picture of this side of God? Do you see God is actually a fierce judge that isn't afraid of punishment? Look at the map. No one escapes his punishment because at this time they were all guilty. You see, God is not like some sweet old grandma that no matter what, she'll forgive you for whatever you do. And God's not like a teacher either that only, wor- that only punishes you for small things or like a police officer that punishes you for big things. You see, God is more like a teacher, police officer, detective, judge and executioner all wrapped in a one. Because guys, he'll punish you for the small and the big things. Like a detective, he searches out everything. And because he's God... He sees everything. Therefore, he's the perfect judge and the fair executioner, always making the right call, even when the punishment is terrifying. I think people like to think God is just some weak observer, just sitting on the sidelines of history, like there aren't any real consequences for disobeying him. I think that's how people can avoid fear of God. But don't you see how real his judgment is in history? He is worth fearing. God is the fierce judge of all people. Now, if you're listening to these warnings in history, it actually points us to three big things about God's judgment that we can actually apply directly to our lives. And the first thing we learn about God's judgment is God's judgment sits over us all. It sits over everyone. You see, God didn't just judge the individuals of society, just the bad guys, just the criminals and the greedy. He judged the whole nation. And no type of person was excused. Whether you're a God person or not. All of the nations were judged and were ruled to be guilty. Though it's worth noting at this point, a faithful few were saved uh, amongst all this carnage. But here's what we need to see. If no one is excused from judgment, that means no one in this room right now, no one is given a pass or a pardon. Everyone has to give an account before God. So my question to you guys is, Does God see evidence you love him in your life? What does God see when he looks at your life? Is he pleased? You see, I think it's easy to forget God's judgment today because it works out a little bit different to the way it did in Isaiah's time, yeah? Because I think if we rebelled against God and God brought down an army that invaded Australia and destroyed us, then we'd pay attention and fear God, yeah? Maybe then we'd fear him. But that's not how God has judgment planned for us. You see, we live in a different time, and it's a wonderful and a terrifying time. So first, why it's wonderful? It's because we live in a time where God has made a way through his son Jesus for us to have peace with God forever. He's given us a saviour in Jesus who's taken the punishment that we deserve, the death we deserve on himself. So if we turn back to God, we can actually have forgiveness. Our punishment is dealt with, and God actually invites us into his family with the inheritance of eternal life to come. And this has been going on for the last 2000 years. Ever since Jesus' death and resurrection, God has been patient. And we read about this in 2 Peter, chapter 3. I've got it up on screen. Have a look particularly at verse 9. It says, "The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance." God waits because he wants many to come back to him and ask for forgiveness through Jesus. This is good news. But I think this is the picture of Jesus that also causes many people to stop fearing God. Because now Jesus has come, there's only forgiveness left, yeah? But here's the terrifying part. Now I want everyone to get your Bibles. Go to the back of the Bible, Revelation 19. We're going to read about why this is terrifying. Revelation 19, verse 11. Revelation 19, verse 11. I want you guys to read with me the picture of Jesus, the forgiving Jesus that could come back at judgment day at any time and judge the entire world. Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing furnace, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Guys, don't make the mistake of thinking judgment isn't coming or Jesus has automatically forgiven everything. You see, guys, Jesus is our saviour king, but we need to be careful. Jesus being the saviour doesn't cancel out him being the king. Jesus is, in fact, our terrifying king. It says he's going to wage war and punish when he returns, which could be at any time. Make no mistake, Jesus has been trusted by God to punish people in the same way as Isaiah, based on faith. Only now... We know the real thing is not to fear death like the nations, but the eternity in hell that follows everyone without faith. So let me go back to a question I asked you guys earlier Does God see evidence you love Him in your life? If He doesn't, then do something about it. Have you repented? Have you asked God for forgiveness? in a way that actually radically changed your life? Or are you trying to have forgiveness and live your life your own way as well? Guys, you can't have both. Jesus is the King of King and the Lord of Lords, it says. He demands your obedience. But let me tell you, the life He has planned for you is not one to hate but embrace. It was designed by the loving Creator who purpose-built it for us. So if you aren't living with Jesus completely as your King, ask for forgiveness tonight. Ask him to change to help change you so you can live your life with him as king, the life he wants you to live. Guys, don't remain on the wrong side of his judgment that is coming. All right, so here, here are the other two things, the other two big things we learn about God's judgment. And I'm gonna keep these ones quick. The second one is God's judgment is terrifying because of evil. Now you guys know. Judgment isn't always necessarily bad. Like we see this in sport when you've got an umpire, like let's say in tennis, they can make a good or a bad judgment whether a ball is in or out, yeah? Well, the reason God's judgment here is terrifying is because what we're seeing is not reward for something good, but punishment for doing something that is bad and evil. And I want to let you guys in a little bit of a secret about this. I need to tell a little secret about ourselves. We are often really uncomfortable around punishment. You see, we often feel punishment is a bad thing, even when it's needed. I'll give you an example. Like, when you hear a friend of yours has detention, what's your first reaction, yeah? You feel bad for them. Oh, that sucks, man. What did you do? Well, what if they said, punch the teacher in the face? How would that change your reaction of empathy, You take back that sympathy straight away. You say, no, you lunatic, you deserve that punishment. You can't go around punching teachers. We need to put a stop to teacher punching. That isn't good, man. So in that scenario, we see why punishment is a good thing. So why do we think it differently in Isaiah? These people rejected God. Do you know how bad that is? He's the creator who made them for a purpose. They deserve that punishment. And the judgment is terrifying Because the crime is so evil and God must punish evil even when the punishment is terrifying. Or else evil would just keep on happening. Teachers would go on getting punched and we wouldn't know that God is serious about us being obedient to Him. If there weren't rebellious people in these nations, guys, we wouldn't be seeing the terrifying judgment. But the fact is, They are evil and they are rebelling against God. So God is fair and punishes them for it. I think another thing that scares us about this punishment that we see is the scale of the punishment. God punishes entire nations at the time. How can that be fair? Well, let me give you one thing to consider and one thing to accept. First, consider when you look around at our world right now, yeah, how many people, let's be honest, how many people show any care or concern for God and the life He wants us to live? The average person, what do you think? And you think most people have care and concern for God, or few? Now, maybe most people get a few things right, yeah? But where would the average person put God on their priority ladder? Where do you think? And remember, God will only tolerate being in one position on, one, on a person's priority ladder. So does God punishing large groups of people really seem unfair or again are we just uncomfortable with punishment even when it's just now here's the thing to accept whether a judgment sits comfortably with us or not god is always just in his judgments in who he blesses and who he punishment punishes is always fair we're in no position to judge god And here's the third thing we learn from God's judgment, particularly when he deals out punishment, and that is God's punishment equals death and destruction. That is what's dealt out to every nation deemed sinful in the eyes of God. And in this time and place, it was everyone. And it's a helpful, but it's not a complete picture of what we should expect if we get on the wrong side of the judgment of God. You see, the terrible scenes of war and pain and anguish in these events are just a glimpse of the future for eternity that we will face if we don't make peace with God. God isn't fooling around when it comes to the respect he deserves. Hell is a real place and a real destination to those who don't come to God now. There are no second chances. If you want to face God without forgiveness, there is no other punishment, only hell. God's punishment equals death and destruction. It's right to fear God because God is the fierce judge of all people. Now, I don't know how you're feeling right now as we go through God being fierce in His judgments. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe it's a bit exhausting. Maybe you're feeling guilty. Or maybe you're just a bit angry. Or maybe you're just like, Sally, why are you trying to make me afraid of God? Aren't we meant to love God instead of fear him? Well, I want to quickly show you three reasons why a fear of God is actually part of a healthy relationship and a love of God. So why is fear a good thing? Well, the first thing we see is it drives us to repentance. Any good relationship with God understands, first of all, that we've actually let God down big time. We've sinned. We don't love God as we should and we want to live our lives our own way. Even when you become a Christian, sin doesn't magically disappear. It's something we constantly need to ask for forgiveness from God. So having a fear of God actually helps us to always be checking ourselves and recognizing our own sin so we can be forgiven. You see, leaving it unchecked can be dangerous. It can lead us further and further away from God to a point where we no longer belong to Him. We now sit under His judgment. A healthy fear of God helps us stop that by driving us to repentance and asking forgiveness and turning away from our sin. That's the first thing why having a fear of God is good and healthy. The second thing is, having a fear of God, it it rightly honors God's glory. Now, if you were with us in week one, uh, we looked at a passage where this guy, Isaiah, who wrote this book, actually saw God in a vision. And when he saw God, he was rightly freaked out. He was terrified, and, when he, and all he saw was just the hem of his robe filling the temple. So big was God's glory. And the guys announcing God's glory made the whole building shake. Could you imagine then how wrong and disrespectful it would have been if Isaiah kind of just strutted into the building? Just kind of kicked off his shoes and said, Hey God, what's up? How about you come down here? I can only see your robe. Why don't you bring your head down here and say a proper hello? If he did that, that would be to completely misunderstand and disrespect the glory of the person in front of him. But instead, what does Isaiah do? He panics. He thinks his life is over and that he's going to die because he has seen the magnitude of God's glory. Now that kind of fear pays respect to who God is and is a helpful thing for us to appreciate who he is. Fear of God rightly honours God's glory. The third thing, finally, fear of God helps us obey. Now, when would you guys say you guys are at your best at school and in class? Is it when the teacher is right behind you, kind of looking over your shoulder? Or is it when the teacher leaves the classroom? When do you think you're at your best, yeah? Well, here's the thing. God is always looking over our shoulder. He sees everything and He wants us to obey His Son, Jesus, in everything. So having a healthy fear of God helps us to position Jesus not as just some laid-back substitute teacher with there are no real consequences for our actions, but instead as our King who deserves obedience and our respect. Fearing Jesus helps us to stop breaking His commands and start obeying them. Remembering He'll be the one coming back on Judgment Day, and that day, Jesus will be terrifying. He'll come to save those who have genuinely lived out the faith and punish those who are faithless or, have, or who have their faith in the wrong thing. A fear of God, a fear of King Jesus, helps us obey. Do you see now, guys, how foolish it is to not fear God? to shaping into something soft and weak when really he's loving, but at the same time, terrifying. Don't make the mistake of the world. Accept a helpful fear of God that will keep you faithful, that will help you honour God, and that will drive you to share Jesus with others because you understand that if, if they will perish if they don't fear the Lord as well. So I'm going to pray to God and ask that he would help us now to grow a healthy fear but also do the thing that fear drives us to do, and that's ask for forgiveness from God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so holy, so big, and so mighty. Help us to appreciate all that you are in your love, but also in your justice, that sees evil punished and dealt with, and will come to judge when Jesus returns. Father, pray, we pray that um, you would build within us a fear and a respect and a reverence for who you are, that we want to flee, flee from your judgment that would punish and come into your love and forgiveness offered by Jesus. And for, for many of us right now, as we think on your judgment We see that we ourselves have fallen so far short of how we should live our lives. In the way we should honour you as our number one priority. In the ways we have sinned when we know we shouldn't. Father, please help us bring these things to you now and please forgive us. And Father, I pray for those people who now are gripped by the fear of the Lord for the first time. Those of us that don't yet know the forgiveness or have have secured forgiveness in Jesus. Father, I pray they would now come to you and ask for forgiveness on the merits of Jesus who lived a perfect life for us, that took our punishment so that now we can be forgiven. Help those people for the first time here tonight, accept Jesus as their King and not live a life for themselves, but live a life for you now. And we pray for all of us that as we think on how big you are, that we would cultivate a healthy fear and a love for you that would drive us away from sin, drive us away from temptation, but help us to obey, but also to share the love and also the reverent fear we should have of Jesus so that more would come to know you and more would be saved on that day of judgment. Please help us to do all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.